Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into the nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones with you after a very, very busy day for the Buffalo Bills. And really, the NFL as a whole, a new record for the amount of deals made on deadline day. The original record, or the previous record, was set in 2018 with just five. Today, that was doubled. Ten total trades just made on deadline day alone in the NFL on trade deadline day. The Bills, of course, a part of two of those deals. We'll jump into that as well. Of course, the rest of the NFL as well. There was a number of very big trades that went on as well across the league, especially in the AFC. We will, of course, get to probably in the next segment, the Sabres, oh boy, 8-3 to win over the Detroit Red Wings, a team that they're going to be in the standings with, along with the Ottawa Senators, all year. They absolutely whooped them on Halloween night. But before we start, welcome to the show. This is the Nightcap. Zach Jones along with you for about the next hour or so. As I said, you know, really to start off the show, a very busy day in the NFL and for the Bills as a whole. We'll jump into all of that. But starting right now, some of the Bills news, of course. For starters, Zach Moss is no longer on the Bills. He was traded along with a conditional sixth-round pick that can become a fifth to get running back Naheem Hines from the Indianapolis Colts. Hines is a 25-year-old running back. He was drafted by the Colts. And really, he is kind of the template for what the Bills have been looking for all offseason, a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield, somebody that can do do everything in special teams in terms of the punt and kickoff scenarios that they're going to have. He's been a fantastic special teamer for the Colts. He comes in with 10 total touchdowns, only one so far this year. It's a rushing touchdown. He really was not used very much, which is kind of funny because Frank Reich in the offseason Outright mentioned, if you're playing fantasy football, draft Naheem Hines. Kind of a funny, not so funny, like his coach seemed to really like adamantly say they're going to use him and did the exact opposite. So that, you know, you probably know Naheem Hines from that of just being very much an, an all-around skilled player. Very, very fast 40 time when he came out of college at the Combine. I will say, though, just for me personally, you could love this move. I totally get it. The Bills have been... I don't want to say clamoring for a running back for the last 12 months, but they've been very aggressive in the running back market. Anytime there is anything to do with drafting a running back, free agent running backs, trading for a running back, the Bills are one of, if not the top team on all of those lists. We go back to the draft, and Brees Hall was a name you could not turn on a radio and not hear Brees Hall, Bills. Brees Hall looks like he's going to the Bills. Brees Hall and the Bills seem like a perfect match. That's that's all it was because the Bills, as most fans agree, the team clearly agrees, and most national experts agree, 
the Bills don't run the ball that well. The Bills need or should get better at running the ball. Yes, their quarterback is a superhero, and I'm not somebody that thinks the Bills need to run more at all. I just think they need to run more efficiently. I think they need better run blocking. I don't think they necessarily need that drastic of a difference of a running back. But the Bills have constantly been in that conversation. They have been for pretty much the last year and a half. Realistically, the last year and a half, maybe even two years, because after they drafted Singletary, they then immediately drafted Zach Moss the next year. So it's been a pretty consistent storyline to follow the Bills in terms of additions the team could make. Running back seems to be a very, very major piece to that. So they add Naheem Hines. It's not a deal I necessarily... It, it, it did not make my heart race. It did not make me you know, put my hands up in the air and, woo, we got Naheem Hines. Like, it, was not, it was not that deal. And it probably never will be. Naheem Hines could be great, and I'll never look back at the deal and go, oh, I knew that was coming, clearly. I'm, I'm not going to try to play you know, revisionist history here. If it, if it pops, phenomenal. I don't know if Naheem Hines is that guy, and to be honest, I don't know if the Bills are going to use him to be that guy. I think this deal is ultimately going to go down as more more or less so the deal that got Zach Moss off the Bills. Before, because for a lot of fans, Moss, every time he touched the ball, led to anger. And to just, to, like, why are we running the ball? Stop running the ball. Singletary, you don't hear that nearly as much. Moss, it's first and ten, and they run it, and it's, why are we running the ball? Why are they giving it to Moss? That problem is, for most fans, gone now. Moss is not on the roster. The other move the Bills made, which was somewhat of a you know, kind of surprise because the Naheem Hines trade came down basically at the buzzer. It was like 3.59, 4 o'clock, and all of a sudden Schefter goes, and another one, and, and read out or tweeted out the, the trade for Hines. The other one is actually depth safety. And they're bringing back a familiar face in safety, Dean Marlowe. He comes from the Falcons for a 2023 seventh-round pick. He was with the Bills from 2017 to 2020. This makes a ton of sense. You're already down Mike Hyde for the entire year. Damar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson have done very admirably in those roles. But if Jordan Poyer is at all out for an extended period of time, which, to be honest, after how many moves the Bills made today, and one of them was not putting Jordan Poyer on IR, I'm not terribly nervous about that. But they do bring in Marlowe as, as just another depth piece. He's somebody that is not going to have to learn the system. He was here for three years. He's got it. We're good. Let's move on. The other big news that the Bills made was, of course, officially activating cornerback Tredavious White from the pup list. We still do not know if he is actually going to play this weekend against the New York Jets. However, with that being said, he's on the 53-man 53 man roster, which is great to hear. I'm iffy on him playing at MetLife just because of the aura around that stadium in terms of ACL injuries and the turf and all that stuff. But I, I think regardless if he plays this week, it's not going to be a ton. He is going to be on a bit of a pitch count just to get him acclimated, get him ready, and, and all that stuff. He has been practicing with the practice squad players, though, as he gets his, ready for his now, of course, return to the 53-man roster. Let's run through really quick some of the other 10 trades made. These are more sort of the notables. Right before show and the Bulldogs started, we had a few come down. The notable one for me is the Jaguars trading for wide receiver Calvin Ridley from the Atlanta Falcons for a 2023 fifth and a conditional fourth in 2024. Calvin Ridley is outright a number one wide receiver. He is a guy that will absolutely make your quarterback better. The only asterisk for this trade is he will not help them at all this year. He is still suspended for betting 
Uh, obviously can't do that in the NFL. You can't gamble. He did. He got caught. Year suspension. Boom. But, man, if this works, what a deal for the Jaguars. A fifth and a conditional fourth for a number one wide receiver. The Bills traded for a number one wide receiver, and they got Stephon Diggs. The Bears, earlier in the day, traded a second-round pick for this year's draft. Their own, the better second-round pick for Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool. That deal could become phenomenal for the Jaguars in very little time. You obviously won't see any you know, ramifications of this trade this year, but next year, early on, if Lawrence continues to progress, or as long as he really doesn't hit a wall and completely collapse, that deal could be spectacular. However, the busiest team by far today was division rival the Miami Dolphins. They traded for linebacker Bradley Chubb from the Denver Broncos for a first-round pick in 2023, a fourth-rounder in 2024, running back Chase Edmonds, and then they also received a fifth in 2025, and they were not done. They traded for running back Jeff Wilson from the 49ers for a 2023 fifth-round pick. I will say Bradley Chubb does make me slightly nervous in terms of their pass rush. I like their pass rush. Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, to name just a few. Their biggest issue, though, is they were not getting consistent enough pressure with four, which is always the dream scenario. Just rush four, get consistent pressure. The Bills have been spectacular at that, but a lot of that is, of course, due to the fact that they traded or they they picked up Von Miller in the offseason through free agency and the massive jump from Greg Rousseau. And now that Ed Oliver has gotten healthy, you're seeing that, again, that they are just getting a consistent pass rush along with, of course, Jordan Phillips, who has been a revelation in that pass rush, along with, of course, Von Miller. The Detroit Lions made a very rare in-divisional or in-division trade. They sent tight end TJ Hawkinson to the Minnesota Vikings. The Lions get a second-round pick in 23 and a third in 24, while the Vikings received a fourth-rounder in 23 and a conditional fourth in 24. Hawkinson definitely makes sense. Irving Ir- Irv Smith for the Vikings, got put on IR today with an ankle injury. He expect, he was expected, before even being put on IR, to be about about 8 to 10 weeks. They need another weapon there. Thielen, I think, is fine, but I think he actually may be dealing with injury. Justin Jefferson's great. He hasn't even scored a touchdown, though, I want to say, since week one. So they're trying to get... They're trying to figure out their offense. As much as they can, they're trying to figure... All of that out. Yeah, he picked up a bruised knee on Sunday. Adam Thielen, that being. But if they can figure out how to get the absolute most out of Kirk Cousins, they can make a run. They can absolutely make a run. But they've got to figure that out. And also, they've got to figure out how to get Justin Jefferson back in the end, back in, in the end zone. I did just look it up. His only two touchdowns on the season were in Week 1 against the Green Bay Packers. He has had great games. He's had four great games so far against New Orleans, 10 catches, 147 yards. Chicago, 12 catches, 154 yards. Against Miami, 6 for 107. And then against Arizona, 6 for 98. He's been great. They just got to get him in the end zone. But I will say, TJ Hawkinson, I remember when he was coming out in Ed Oliver's draft year, Hawkinson was a name that was kind of thrown around a little bit. He comes out of Iowa. George Kittle came out of Iowa. Really, and he... Big guy coming out of Iowa. You kind of trust a little bit. Not so much recently, but the, you know, years past, you really did. He made the Pro Bowl in, in 2020, and he was not not necessarily considered like a can't-miss prospect at tight end. He was not Kyle Pitts. But 
Hawkinson had a lot of fanfare coming out of Iowa, and the Bills at 10, it was not out of the realm of possibility that they would pick him. He wound up being picked at, I want to say, 8. Yeah, he's picked 8th overall by, of course, the Detroit Lions. He's had an iffy career, but, of course, he hasn't really had great quarterbacks. His best season was his sophomore season, 67 catches, 723 yards, and 6 touchdowns. And then this year, through seven games, 26 catches, 395 yards, and three touchdowns. I'm very interested to see how he's going to look on the Vikings. I think that's definitely going to be one to keep an eye on, especially because, well, it was an in-division, and the Vikings seem to really be going for it. They're 6-1 right now. They are keeping absolute pace with the with the Eagles, even though they did lose to them early in the season, Week 2. They're keeping pace with them. They're going to make sure that the Eagles cannot falter because the Vikings will be right there to pounce. And along with that, the Vikings are sniffing blood in the NFC North. They know in maybe two weeks' time they could essentially lock up the division. That would be huge, especially over the last two years with Green Bay and how dominant they were. That would be absolutely massive for them. I do want to quickly talk about the Chicago Bears getting Chase Claypool. I mentioned it a little bit earlier when I was kind of going through some of the, the trades that had gone down, mainly talking about Calvin Ridley when I did that. But the Chicago Bears. They're, they're figuring out that there's something there with Justin Fields. I think that much is very obvious. They are figuring out, okay, we, we clearly don't have the worst quarterback of our draft class. That's Zach Wilson. And over the last two weeks, clearly he's making serious strides in his game to the point where it's not that he's not unplayable. The, the Chicago Bears offense is no longer offensive to football. And I don't mean that as like a slight to them. I mean, like they, like they were bad, and now they are putting up points. They're not winning games necessarily. I mean, they, of course, they beat the Patriots, but then they lose to the, the Cowboys this past Sunday. But they're still a growing team. And this is a team that, in this offseason, is going to have around $120 million in cap space. And they've gotten rid of two of the guys that they maybe would have had to pay big money to. Robert Quinn, who, while he's a little bit older, they may have wanted to bring back. And mainly, Roquan Smith, who is looking to be the highest-paid player at his position. He's off to the Ravens, which that's a whole weird situation. I kind of want to jump into that a little bit later this week, about how the Ravens, who seem skittish to pay Lamar Jackson high-end money, have now brought in, potentially, a rental guy at linebacker. Or, they're going to pay him big money and back themselves into a corner with Lamar of like, look, you either pay him or you look like idiots. I, I don't love that move, as you can tell by how I described it, at all. But with, with the Bears, there's something about Chase Claypool. Uh, Mike Shope earlier kind of mentioned it too. Um, Tony Roma, one of his bro- uh, broadcasts, was looking at, at Chase Claypool and, and commenting on one of his routes and, and how not lazy it looked, but he, he needed to clean it up. And then really, you look at any Pittsburgh Steeler person on Twitter, on Facebook, on the radio, on TV. None of them are sad to see Claypool go. And this is a guy, his rookie year looked like potentially another steal for the Steelers in terms of wide receiver. That now seems to be George Pickens, but that's just that is just the nature of the beast with the Pittsburgh Steelers and them dealing with wide receivers. They're always going to get studs. But his rookie year, 62 receptions, 873 yards, and 9 touchdowns. And since then, he's just not even remotely gotten close to that. In his sophomore year, 59 catches, 860 yards, only two touchdowns. He averaged about the same yards per possession as his rookie year, or uh, yards per reception. His first year, 14.1. His second year, 14.6. This year, though, not even really close to what you want. 32 catches, 311 yards, and one touchdown. He's been 
He's just not been that guy. He really hasn't had a big pop-off game outside of, well, they're winning against Tampa. Seven targets, seven catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown, and that's kind of it. That's I mean, that's really about it. Everything else is just very eh. But if you're the Bears, and this is where I can kind of understand this move, is they truly want to know how much more do we have to get. They still have another second-round pick. They've got a few more other late-round picks. They, of course, have free agency. I mean, of course, around $120 million in cap space. They will have by far the most going into this offseason. You give Fields now a good backfield in David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. You give him another receiver. I mean, their receiving core going this year was atrocious. He essentially had Darnell Mooney, a tight end in Cole Komet, who finally scored his first touchdown since, I want to say, 2020 when they first drafted him. So they get that out of the way. Just boom. All right. You know, maybe you kind of just you, you rip that Band-Aid off. Cole Komet gets his touchdown, you know, first one in two years. Now maybe he can start kind of producing a little bit more. And now you add Claypool, another guy kind of to the outside. And maybe Fields, because we don't even know the last two years for uh, Chase Claypool, he may have been just dealing with some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL and just maybe just, in all seriousness, just decided, I'm not going to try that hard. Not for this. I mean, he looked furious on the sideline. Uh, for the last few games, and, you know, throwing his mouthpiece and stuff like that. Like, he he knew he was getting it traded. And and to be honest, Pittsburgh had to take this deal. This is a phenomenal deal for a player of Claypool's caliber. Because ultimately, up to this point, I don't know if he has the potential that, like, Elijah Moore has that would warrant this, or the production that would warrant this move. But the Chicago Bears made it. I think a lot of the reason why they made this move is much more in the sense of we've, we've we've truly got to see what we need to get fields. Them trading Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn tells you they have fully they're they're going to fully dive into this is Justin Fields' team. They are fully diving into that because they're going to prepare to do what the Bills did in Josh Allen's second year. They're going to do it in Justin Fields' third year in the second off season. Just load up, hopefully get a ton of guys or guys that are really going to work with him. Get you know the best offensive lineman on the market. They're absolutely going to hammer that. Whoever it is, whatever the price is, the Chicago Bears are absolutely going to do it. I think they're probably going to try to add one more, if not two more receivers as well. They're going to draft people. They're, the Bears are are going to be a work in progress. But here's the thing, and this is and this is going to go back to the Minnesota Vikings who just grabbed T.J. Hawkinson. There's a reason they did that. They've got to get the most out of Kirk Cousins because they know if they don't, they're always going to be a team that is underachieving based on the talent around them. The Chicago Bears can probably smell where the or can, can can tell where the wind's going. Aaron Rodgers is out of here in at least two years. Maybe he holds on a little bit more, but probably not. Detroit literally is just spinning in circles. They have no idea where they're going. Minnesota right now is going to be very, very good. But if Fields hits, if you put everything in his corner to allow him to hit, like the Jets have tried to do with Zach Wilson, then the Chicago Bears in two years could be the top of the NFC North. Easily. They're going to try their best to do kind of what the Jets did for Zach Wilson. The only difference is Zach Wilson is the worst quarterback in football. Justin Fields has shown now in his second year legitimate progress that makes you sit there and go, oh, he might be that guy because he has the athleticism. You're seeing the running ability. Fields is now becoming a really good fantasy quarterback. And he has the arm talent, and now he's starting to make some of the easier throws along with the big throws that are helping his production really get boosted up. But back to the Bills before we take our first time out. Naheem Hines, you've probably seen it on Twitter, you've probably heard a little bit about it, 
He actually did sign a contract extension with the Indianapolis Colts back in 2021, a three-year contract extension worth $18.6 million. However, there is a potential out in 2023, and not all of his money is guaranteed. His guaranteed money at signing is $10.3 million. And he becomes a UFA in 2025. The Bills will have him for two years after this year. His base salary, though, on those years, not it's not good. 2023, it's $4.45 million. In 2024, it's $5.1 million. I just, I cannot see in a world where they're bringing Hines back next year on what would be $4.4 million. And he's not the clear-cut back for this team. Like he would have to be their A back. He's the guy we're running through and let's and let and just get out of the way. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I don't know if I see that. But to be honest, he might just be a better version of what James Cook is. And they're thinking, let's just do that now. Let's just let's do the James Cook thing now by getting Hines, not having to worry about him getting better. Cook can come in when we need him. He doesn't have to worry about, dude, dude, you have to be at this level in December or we cannot use you. He doesn't have to worry about that. Just get acclimated to the NFL, help when you can, and we'll move forward. The team obviously really likes what Singletary is doing for them. And, and to be perfectly honest, I do too now that they're getting a little bit better at actually like run blocking. Singletary is doing much better. With that being said, I I just personally to me, and I could be completely off base. I didn't think the team would sign back Dawson Knox. They did that before he even hit free agency. I don't think the team is going to re-sign Devin Singletary. I think they're absolutely just, this is going to be his last year here. They're going to do as much as they can with him at running back. Obviously going to put enough on tape for him as well to keep having a job in the NFL, which he absolutely deserves. But I just do not imagine he is back with the Bills next season. I just don't. And I and I, in my mind though, I can see a backfield of Hines and Cook for the next two years, but that contract does worry me. I think there is going to have to be a bit of a retool there to kind of allow that deal to stick, to make it where it's not a complete and utter disaster in terms of it, asset management. The team, the Bills, have gone after running backs pretty aggressively in the last few years. Whether it's getting guys in free agency, drafting one basically every year. And even this past year now, yes, they traded back a number of times, but they still drafted James Cook in the second round. And James Cook, at least coming out, was more of a niche back of, he's not going to be you know the traditional guy, but he's a great route runner. He's a great receiver. But now, you have two guys that do the same thing, and another guy on your roster, and Duke Johnson, who also kind of does the exact same thing. And then you have Singletary, who's not nearly as good of a wide receiver. 
it is a very interesting move in that sense that I don't totally know if they needed to make. They clearly have been in the market. They were mentioned a ton with Christian McCaffrey. They were mentioned a little bit with Alvin Kamara. I think fans more wanted Josh Jacobs. I don't know if he was necessarily involved in that. But the Bills have constantly been pinpointed to these kind of players. Receiving backs who will help out the passing game. And while I'm fine with it, I just I don't totally know how much more this is going to help the Bills offense outside of maybe just helping to spread the ball out a little bit more. Maybe allowing somebody like potentially James Cook to kind of become the team's full-on, or not not James Cook, Naheem Hines to kind of maybe become the team's full-on slot receiver. That position has yet to been grabbed, really, by anybody. Crowder, of course, is out for the year. Isaiah McKenzie has been prone to pretty egregious mistakes, and Khalil Shakir is a rookie, which, coming out of camp, I think a lot of people really thought that job was secure by McKenzie, but it has been anything but. So we will see. It's going to be interesting. Before we take our first time out, I do want to give you some breaking news here. The first official college football playoff rankings came out, and Tennessee are the number one team right now for the college football playoff rankings. These are going to be now the rankings they use all the way up to the playoff. Tennessee comes in at one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson four, Michigan at five, and Alabama at six. We're going to take a quick timeout and we come back. The Sabres, oh boy, win against the Detroit Red Wings eight to three. Tage Thompson with a six point night, an absolutely dominating win. We'll jump into that a little bit more. When we get back, and we'll also talk a little bit more about the NFL as well. I kind of want to dive into a few more of those trades as well, especially the Miami Dolphins, kind of where I'm feeling with them. But to start off the next segment, we'll talk a little bit about the Sabres and kind of where they're at. Is this fast start? They're 6-3 now. Is this fast start the for real one? Is this the one we can all legitimately get excited about and not await the inevitable shoe to drop? We'll do that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you. UB football plays tonight at 7.30. They're taking on the University of Ohio and some action. Of course, it's a Tuesday night. If you are looking for that game, that'll be over on our sister station, the Bet 1520. The UB Bulls have won five straight. They started the year 0-3. They're now 5-3, and and they are cruising in the MAC right now. Before we get to some hockey, I did tweet out, if you want to tweet at me, at ZacharyJones198. I cannot really take phone calls too much on this show. I am alone, so if you call me in the middle of the segment, I literally cannot get to the phone. I'm talking i can't i can't screen the call which is a super fun time when i'm sitting here alone i just kind of watch it buzz and i'm like i'd love to take the call but i can't so yeah if you want to if really if you want to you know join the show and get connected tweet at me at zachary jones 198 when we went to break i did quickly i kind of wanted to see where fans i heads were at did any team make a move today or make moves today that had you a little nervous not necessarily thinking oh the sky's falling the, the world is over the Bills are dead. Just a little nervous for the, for the Bills' Super Bowl hope. We got a few tweets that came in. Frank tweeted in, Some teams have made the playoff road challenging for sure. I absolutely agree with that. Of course, one of them being Kansas City. Earlier, they get Kadarius Tony. We'll see how that move works. That's kind of the big Bills rivalry right there. But Tony adds a ton of speed and a high-end potential for an AFC conference rival. And then... Of course, we also have Brandon tweeting in, Miami is a problem. 
I could not agree more. Bradley Chubb going to Miami is... I'm I'm nervous about them. That pass rush is good, and Tua, if he... It, Honestly, if he doesn't turn the ball over and just gets his passes accurately to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, those two are good enough to make your life hell. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that. And that's and that's where I get a little nervous with it. And then Thomas tweets in, hell no, all capitals. I respect that the line of thinking. Kinda wish I could be there. Because I see the the you know, I see the Vikings trade for TJ Hawkinson and, and immediately I'm I'm like thinking about it like the Bills are in the NFC and they're not. So I wish I had that thought process. But moving on, the Bills, oh, excuse me, the Sabres have had a phenomenal start to their season. They sit at 6-3. and three. They're doing very, very well. 12 points on the season so far. Did incredibly well on their West Coast trip, dropping one game to Seattle. Then they came home and dropped a game to Montreal. So they lost two straight. They immediately answered that, an overtime win over Chicago, and then last night's absolute barn burner, taken behind the woodshed type moment where Detroit has come into this season. It's them and Ottawa. Buffalo was put into that group, but it's been them and Ottawa in the Eastern Conference that a lot of hockey heads have been talking about is the young teams that can really break through in a sense, the glass ceiling of the Eastern Conference, kind of that, that, that chokehold a lot of these older teams have had on the conference, those being, of course, Boston, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. You know the teams. They're in the playoffs, it feels like, every single year. Detroit and Ottawa were considered the two teams that really could cause some issues there. Buffalo has beaten them both. To open up the season. They beat Ottawa on opening night 4-1. And then last night, they whooped on Detroit 8-3. We'll get into some of the historic performances that went on in that game. Namely, Tage Thompson. But right now, and of course it's early. The Sabres have played 9 games. They sit with 12 points. Boston also played 9 games. They have 8 wins to 1 loss. They have 16. The only other team that tops in the Eastern Conference that tops the Sabres in points right now is Carolina with 13. And that's because they have an overtime loss rather than a third outright loss. And right now, Ottawa sits in ninth with just eight points, and Detroit sits with 10 points, and they're around sixth in the entire Eastern Conference. And just the Atlantic... Ottawa is in dead last. Detroit is third to last with Toronto in between the two. Is it early? Absolutely. But Ottawa has been slightly disappointed. They sit right now at a four and four record. They've only played eight games. So they're, you know, there's obviously a game in hand And Detroit who is out a number of starters on their offense. It doesn't totally matter to me though, after watching last night's game. And the reason I'll say that is because the stats were so lopsided. And also, of course, the Sabres themselves are missing some of their key defensemen. Three of them included. Ilya Labushkin, Matias Samuelson, and Henry Yokiharyu. It didn't matter. The Sabres had 46 shots on goal to, do, to, to Detroit's 18. It was a complete domination. I was nervous a little bit earlier in the game, though. 
They score in the first period, Tate's Thompson on the one-timer. But there was this kind of feeling that it was like, oh, no, it's going to be the Chicago game where they're, they're dominating, they're getting good shots off, but it's just they're getting goalied. That this random dude for Detroit, who none of their fans had any faith in, is just, it just carried them. And Buffalo gets up frustrated. They give up some garbage goals. And they did give up some some garbage goals last night. Shorthand one to Larkin. Another one bounces off Owen Power Skate. There were, there were some ones that you're just like, seriously? Like, why? But in that, in that third period, they opened up the floodgates. To start the third period, though, that, that's where they gave up that shorthand goal to Dylan Larkin. They were now only up 4-3. to three. They were dominating for much of the game. It was 4-1. Thompson had two at that point. And, it, you know, Quinn had one as well, which is a cannon. To the point where Kyle Oposo, after the goal scored and Quinn is celebrating, Oposo, it seemed like, didn't even realize it had happened. And he goes to skate over to get the, to get the rebound and, and really only hears the horn, so he stops and celebrates. But... He was so fast to the puck. I like that was my favorite part of the entire play. Quinn's goal is phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. But I loved Oposo's aggressive get to the puck, get the rebound. Oh, 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 wait, we scored. Okay, sweet. But the fourth, or excuse me, the third period, Sabres are up four to three. And it's just they just decided to put their foot down and end the game. Darlene off, you know, it. Not a cheap goal, but you know it's a bit, a bit of a deflection. I didn't even think it went in initially. I was very stunned when all of a sudden it, it was a goal call. Then you get Cousins off an absolute rip. I think he has one of the most underrated shots on the team. I, I truly believe that. I know you know Tage Thompson and Victor Olofsson are kind of the two main ones. Casey Middlestat in terms of the breakaways and, and the skill he has. I think Tuck and Darlene, Darlene especially now, of course, because of the records he's broken, are have you know very noticeable shots. Oposo's wrister has been fantastic. Skinner as well. Cousins has got some power on that stick. Some of his goals he has scored this year have been phenomenal. He's got four this year. I want to say two of them, including the one last night, have just been rips where he, I mean, he just beats the goalie. Just It's so fast he beats the goalie. Thompson then with his hat trick. I think a lot of people, especially now that we're, we're about 24 hours since, have seen Darlene's reaction to it, which was just the most wholesome thing I've ever seen, where he just literally had his hands on his heads, couldn't believe what Thompson had done. I I, I want to talk about him now. I, I, I want to hold off on it. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to talk about Thompson. Six points last night. One of the best Sabre performances I've personally ever seen. And it, it, to a point, it just kind of became laughable. Like, just how dominant he was against the Detroit Red Wings. He was all over them. He had a number of shots there that you, you thought would have would have been goals or really had good chances of, of going in the back of the net. He had great passes. It, it, was, it was absurd how good he was. Three goals, three assists. And for a man that size, 6'7", probably like 6'9", on skates, the skill he has when the puck's on his stick is spectacular. He looks so comfortable. He knows how to use his weight. He, he a lot of times just is is toying with guys when he has the puck, and he seems so comfortable and so calm. And there is this feeling, and I had this feeling in the in the middle of of this. So really, the third period, but in the middle of that, I was sitting there and I'm just like, these last two games have really got me thinking that maybe Thompson's peak, I guess. And he has nine points in the last two games. He had a slow start to the season. That is just that 
That is, yes, he did. You can try to defend it all you want. He had a very slow start to the season. And that's okay, because the team didn't. But he did. And in the last two games, he's now tied for the lead scorer with, on the Buffalo Sabres with Rasmus Dahlin. He went from not necessarily a non-factor, but kind of a non-factor to, boom, he has 12 points. He's one of the top 20 uh, scorers in the NHL right now to start the season. The dude was barely around for the first three, four games. It was like he was injured in terms of how many points he was getting. He wasn't getting any. Now he's right there. Darlene had two last night. If Darlene didn't have a goal and assist, Thompson would have completely taken over the lead. But there was a point in the third period last night. And let me know if you're feeling the same way. You can tweet at me, at ZacharyJones198. There, there feels like a superstar budding in Tage Thompson. That it's not just going to be, you know, 38 goals and all 30 assists. And he's pretty good, but you kind of wonder if he can actually be your top-line center. He's not a good enough playmaker, maybe. I remember I was doing the morning show with Howard and Jeremy, and head coach Don Granato would come in on Tuesdays. He did today as well, if you want to hear that. You can hear that at our website, WGR550.com, or on our Odyssey app. But when he would come on, Number one, in, in the early part of the season, Darlene. Darlene could have had seven turnovers and one spectacular pass. And it, it, you were going to hear about that one pass. You were not going to hear about the turnovers. You are going to hear about that one pass and what he did. And it built up Darlene's confidence to the point now where he's leading all defensemen in scoring. Yes, it's early, but he's leading all defensemen in scoring right now. He is a completely different player from the one 12 months ago to start last season completely different player. It's not even It's not even up for debate. He is spectacular now. And a guy that it really does feel like he is going to compete for the Norris Trophy this year. It really does. If not outright win it. And with Thompson, after the season had ended, he has his 38-goal season, only 30 assists, though. What would Don Granato always talk about? Well, no, his, his passing is much better. The guys, you know, they're almost not ready for it. I, I remember that quote. I, I'm not quoting him exactly, but I just I remember him saying that of just like, yeah, some of the guys playing with him just weren't ready for those passes. They they also were not ready for the kind of playmaking ability he had. And you're kind of watching now. Three, two of his three assists last night were primary assists. It, it, he looks like a budding superstar. The St. Louis Blues still won the trade. I know some people want to say it's now even. It's not. It's it, it simply it's not. Ryan O'Reilly won that team a Stanley Cup, and he also added a Smythe Trophy to it. And he is still one of the faces of their franchise, along with you know, Vladimir Tarasenko and Bennington. It's the Sabres have not won the trade. They have not equaled out the trade. But they've certainly made it go from a laughable trade to where last year it was, oh, okay. All right, well, all right, Thompson is going to be a top six forward for you for the next five, six years. Awesome, good for you. To now, okay. We'll see where this ends up. If Thompson is all of a sudden your, your, your leading scorer on a team that gets into the second round, maybe even wins a a Stanley Cup. I don't know. This this does feel like the group though that they're going to want to try to do that with outside of you know a few trades. If that happens, we can have a conversation. But the moment St. Louis won a cup and the moment Ryan O'Reilly captained that team and won the Conn Smythe, 
it was going to take a Herculean effort from Tage Thompson to make that trade even 50-50. You can make an argument for Tuck and Krebs and Eichel for that to be a 50-50 trade. I'll, I'll grant you that. Krebs needs to get a little bit better in terms of you know, point scoring, but with Rasmus Aspen last night, by the way, he should never be scratched. Rasmus Asplund should never be scratched from this team, ever. I don't really care about the rotation in, in terms of Rasmus Asplund. He shouldn't be a part of it. He is one of the best defend, defensive forwards in all of hockey. And he makes his line mates, their lives, infinitely easier to the point where they can just do their thing. And it showed last night. But back to Thompson. He was going to have a Herculean effort ahead of him to even make that trade 50-50. And that's not fair to him. But that's exactly what happened. But he is doing his best impression of a superstar player. To the point now where it's not an impression anymore. He gives off the vibes of somebody who... And he probably is going to finish this year with more goals than assists. But if he gives me an 85-plus point season this year, that's a superstar. That is absolutely a superstar and a center you can build your top line around. He looked unbelievable last night. He looked in such control. He was calm, and he was punishing Detroit for any mistake they made. He looked like the player we all need Darlene to be. You're down one goal, you're in the third, or you're up one, and you need to build that cushion, and that player can just take over a game. Darlene was drafted to be that and is that. He is often that player that just makes some silly move that gets the audible gasp from everybody, and just makes a, it makes an incredible play. Thompson has now also become one of those players of when you need to take over a game, he is on the ice, and he's doing something amazing. He is he is doing something to try to win a game, and you kind of believe he's gonna because his shot is powerful, it's accurate, his passing looks so much more crisp this year, and he's at the right age to where he's still a young guy, but he's twenty five years old. He has now entered this period where he can be looked up, you know, looked upon as one of the veterans. And with how he's performing, it's not one of those just, you know, he's going to blow smoke and no one's going to really listen because, well, what do you do here? What he does here is transform the Sabres' offense overnight. They were good at scoring. I mean, I think they've had three straight games now of 40-plus shots on goal, but they weren't putting those goals away. Not, Not all the time. They were having a real tough time, especially against Chicago. And that third period, and then the rest of this game against Detroit, they were unstoppable. They made Detroit look like a team that should be tanking, not a team that is potentially going to kind of break out and kind of you know ruffle the feathers a little bit of the Eastern elite. Instead, to start the year through 9-10 games, Buffalo looks like that team. And I do think now, because of the players around them, because of the coaching, because this actually feels like a continuation from the second half of last year. I personally, I think this is for real. I don't know. Again, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs. We're just not that far enough in. I need about 25 games. But for right now, they're going to at least make it damn close. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll jump back in a little bit into football, talk a little bit with Miami Dolphins and where I see them now after making the Bradley Chubb trade and the Jeff Wilson trade. We'll do that when we come back and we wrap up the nightcap here on WGR.
Welcome back. Quick final segment as we wrap up the night here on WGR. I do think the Miami Dolphins got better. I, I, I Honest to God, I, I do think they are a serious team in the AFC. I think their biggest problem is they do not have a game-changer at quarterback. However, am I going to sit here now and say that I think the next matchup when the Bills take them on in Buffalo is all of a sudden now more dire and the idea that the that the Dolphins are going to win is going to stick in my brain longer than it did last time, which was not at all, and then they lost? Probably. I actually think it will, because they did win. Were the Bills hurt to hell? Absolutely. Was the temperature that of the surface of the sun? Uh-huh, correct. But it did happen. And now they make this move for Bradley Chubb. I really like Jeff Wilson at running back. Tyreek Hill looks like he's putting up a historic performance. And Jalen Waddle is one of the best wide, young wide receivers in the league. But to me, I'm just I'm not there yet totally with fearing the Dolphins like I do with the Chiefs. But with that being said, for the next few years, the Dolphins are going to be a pain in the rear end for the Bills that will never go away. You may beat them 50% of the time. But they will be a team in week eight, week 14, 15, 16, and you're going to be sitting there going, we still locked up the division? Oh, it's because of the, the guys in South Florida. That's great. That's what they're going to be for the next four or five years because they are going to lock up Bradley Chubb long-term. They'd be fools not to. Really, the interesting part is how long do the Bills have to play Tua Tungabailoa as the Dolphins starter? That is the real question, and I do wonder if the Dolphins are prepared to build their team a lot more aggressively like the Minnesota Vikings, which is we just have to squeeze everything we can out of our limited quarterback. It's going to be a very, very interesting few years to see which route the Miami Dolphins take. Do they do the squeeze everything out of your limited quarterback, or do they risk everything and go for a guy who can completely revolutionize their offense? It's going to be interesting, and it's going to be something the Bills are going to have to deal with, even as it's not necessarily completely related to them that's gonna do it here on the nightcap tomorrow i'll be back with show and the bulldog starting at three mike show will be off in the next few days so i think it's just gonna be me and bulldog we'll have dan leberfeld join the show to talk a little bit jets football of course the sabers as well play tomorrow at 7 30 when they take on the penguins pregame will start right here on wgr at 6 30 we'll do all of that and of course howard and jeremy will break down Everything that happened in the trade deadline, the Bills made their moves well after those guys were off the air. So they of course, give their opinions. That'll happen starting at 6. But this has been the Nightcap, and this is WGR.